Remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead in John chapter 11? He had been in the tomb for four days and had been wrapped in grave cloths, clothes, not clothes, cloths, whatever. And when Jesus raised him from the dead, he still had the grave clothes around him. And Jesus made a statement to those around him. He said, loose him and let him go. I remember one pastor saying, maybe that's a picture of us where we have life, spiritual life, but there are ways in which we are bound, ways in which as Christians we struggle in different areas of our life. We are going to begin a series today of called Breaking the, the Chains That Bind Us and dealing with some of the areas of life that we struggle with. And we begin by looking at anger as we uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we begin reading at verse 25 in Jesus' name. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, take now the words that, that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. Uh, guide us into your truth, Lord. We believe your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name, amen. At first, the man was annoyed, and then he became very angry. There was a group of teenagers, and it was Halloween night, and they were coming to the door, no costumes, and saying, trick or treat. Well, the man of the house said, I'm not going to put up with this. He said, if any more older kids without costumes show up tonight, they're not getting anything from me, and if they don't move on, I'll call the police. As he talked, his face became quite red, his breathing very rapid, and his wife looked at him with a curious gaze and said, George, <laughs> reminds me of George Wilson with Dennis the Menace. George, it's only candy. <laughs> it's just candy, George. Uh, David McCaslin writes this story in Our Daily Bread, and he goes on to say, I've often pondered those words, it's only candy. He said that put the issue in perspective how easily we become agitated over our rights, 
our property and our preferences, only to be reminded that we have allowed something inconsequential to consume us. Do you ever get angry? If you never get angry, you can probably leave. But if you ever get angry, then maybe you should listen to what Paul writes about anger. And there are three things he tells us. First of all, we must recognize when anger is sinful. Are you one of those who who think that anger is always sinful? That if you are mad about something, it is obvious that you have sinned in your heart? I don't think that's true because Paul writes in verse 26, he says, Be angry. Doesn't end it there, but he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. And so we must say that there is something that we might call a holy anger. Some would call it a a righteous indignation. And maybe for some of us, we need to get more angry. Righteous indignation, a holy anger, anger at sin, because there can be this kind of a a tolerant thing where we just kind of, you know, we tolerate everything. We don't get mad about anything. And Paul says there is a righteous indignation. If all anger was sinful, then we'd probably have to say that Jesus sinned because Jesus got angry. Mark 10, verse 14, it says Jesus was indignant because the disciples sent away the mothers that were bringing their little children to him. In Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, Jesus was angry with those who dishonored the temple. Remember that? The money changers, and he overthrew the tables, and and he, he sent them out of the temple. And so the anger of Jesus was clearly righteous indignation against sin. And this is the kind of anger that the Bible says is, a, is an okay anger. Maybe it's a good anger. If we tolerate sin, uh, maybe we need to get a little bit more angry at evil. The kind of anger that is sinful is different from Jesus' anger because it is an anger that is selfishly motivated. And that anger manifests itself in many different ways, doesn't it? Sometimes we are angry when we are told the truth. Ever had that happen to you? Maybe your spouse confronts you about something that is truthful and you didn't really want to hear it. And so you get angry at the truth. Or sometimes we get angry when we don't get our way. Hmm, That ever happened to you where you expected something to happen a certain way? You wanted it done this way and it wasn't done that way? Or when people don't do what we want them to do? And sometimes it can be the slightest thing that causes a person to get angry. I remember standing in line one day at the store several years ago. And some problem with uh, some... Couldn't find a price, you know, and so the light starts blinking, you know, and got to have a manager come. And there was a guy standing behind me. I thought he was going to explode. It was just unbelievable. He's just fuming. Oh, just, every time I come here, same thing happens again. He's just, I felt like turning around and saying, just, just chill out. Just relax a little bit. Just, uh, you know, you feel like with some people, like you're walking on eggshells. You know, some of people like that. 
It's like, what is going to be the next thing that causes them to burst out in anger? And oftentimes it is just a small little irritation. Of course, we'd like to think that our anger is always righteous indignation, right? Everybody else's anger is sinful anger, but ours is righteous indignation. But there are many times when it isn't. It's easy to get angry in a sinful way. Aristotle wrote, he said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not so easy. So we need to recognize when anger is sinful. When is it self-motivated? When is it displeasing to God? There is a right anger, but I think most of all we probably exhibit the other. What is the second lesson? We must recognize when anger is sinful. We must refuse to allow anger to simmer. There's a number of Greek words in our text that describe what anger is. Many of them are found in, in verse 31. Uh, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all Malice. The word bitterness reflects what one author described a smoldering resentment, a brooding, grudge-filled attitude. It is the spirit of irritability, irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity, making him sour and venomous. Wrath has to do with a wild rage, the passion of the moment. And so if you were to contrast those two, the anger is one that kind of smolders within, and then wrath is this, this outburst of that smoldering within. The word anger also carries that idea of an, of an internal smoldering, a, a subtle and, and deep feeling, and then clamor is, is like a shout or an outcry of strife. It reflects the public outburst that reveals loss of control. And so you have both of those aspects. You've got that kind of that inner simmering, that inner smoldering, that that attitude of just kind of boiling within, and then every now and then it just there's an outburst. It's kind of like you're you get to the point where you 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 haven't dealt with your anger and so it just comes out in ways that that are obviously damaging. And when you think about what anger is and what it does, you can see why Paul says that we shouldn't even go to bed with this kind of anger. In verse 26, he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And if you read on, you can see why he says that. Because if you allow anger to simmer, you open the door for the devil's work in your life. Because verse 27 goes on to say, And do not give... The devil, an opportunity. The word opportunity is kind of an interesting word. It's a word that means literally a place. Do not give the devil a place. And so when you refuse to deal with your anger, it's just like opening the front door of your heart and giving him a place. You're welcome here. 
Stay here. Enjoy your time here. A place to occupy. So when we don't deal with anger, that's what happens. We are, we are opening the door to the devil's work in our life. And you know as well as I do, when you go to bed angry, you don't sleep well. Next morning, you're, you're probably more angry or angry. You're angrier than when you went to bed because you've opened the door to the devil's work. If you allow anger to simmer, you end up hurting others because you end up saying and you end up doing things that, that you wouldn't normally do. And you end up causing others great pain. How many of you have said something or done something in a moment of anger you wish you could take back, huh? Oh, how many times this happened in our life? We are mad about something, we are angry about something, and we lash out against someone. And once those words come out, we just think, oh... I shouldn't have said that. Or you do something in the moment in a fit of rage and, and you, you look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wonder how many people are in prison today because of anger. Allowing anger to get root in their lives and, and in a moment of rage they do something they wouldn't have normally have done and they pay a horrible, terrible price. When you allow anger to simmer... You also hurt yourself. There are spiritual, there are emotional, and there are even physical consequences to anger. And sometimes anger can end up costing you greatly. F.W. Borheim writes about a man he visited some years ago. He said he was a man that nobody liked. He was hard, he was sullen and, and sour. If you met him on the street and wished him a good day, he would just kind of grunt and, and pass on. He lived in a tumbled-down old hut way back in the woods. He spoke to nobody, and nobody spoke to him. And he said even the children didn't like him, which is kind of sad. And one day he visited with this man, and he discovered what it was that made him so sour. And the man confessed to him, he said, uh, that he was wronged way back in his youth days. And he, he, he determined that he was going to remember the wrong done to him to the day that he died. And he did. And when his dying day actually came, he realized what a fool he had been. How his anger had soured and darkened his whole life. He says, I've gone over this deed every morning. He said, I've thought of it every night. He says, I've cursed the man who wronged me a hundred times every day. But then he said, I see now that my curses have eaten out my soul. They've been like gall on my tongue and gravel in my teeth. My hate has hurt nobody but myself. But God knows, he said, it's turned my life into hell. you imagine living like that? All the days of your life, waking up every morning, what's the first thing you think of the wrong done to you years ago? You think about it all day, you go to bed with that? That would turn your life into hell. That's what anger does. When it's allowed to simmer. 
But there's another consequence of that. If you follow Paul's teaching from verse 30 and 31, he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger... What's he saying there? He's saying there that, that anger is a way of grieving the Holy Spirit. When we do not deal with our sin, be it anger or anything else, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And how can we be what God wants us to be when we have grieved? The Spirit of God who works in our life to make us more like Jesus. You have simmering anger in your heart today. I remember several years ago, we lived out in North Dakota. I was the only one in the office, and so there wasn't always coffee available like there is here. And so I used to warm up some water in a, in a little teapot put it on the stove, and then I'd go back and do a few things. And then I was going to come back and instant coffee. It was pretty gross, but I drank it anyhow. Go back and put some water in my coffee cup, and the phone rang. So back I went into the office, <coughs> visited on the phone, forgot about the water. All of a sudden I could smell something that I didn't think was right, and I came back in there. The water had all boiled out. <coughs> And I went to grab the, the, the top of that, that uh, container, and it was so hot I had to grab a, a pad. And when I grabbed it, I, I pulled it off, and the, the bottom was left on the burner. <laughs> All I had was this with no bottom. I thought, wow, what a picture of letting something simmer too long. huh? Boy, when you do that with anger, you're in trouble. So Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Repent of it. If it involves someone else in your life, you've got to deal with that. It'll destroy you. It'll grieve the Holy Spirit. So refuse to let anger simmer. But then thirdly, we need to replace anger with forgiveness. There's one thing that causes us to be angry the most. It's probably someone who has wronged us. That's often where anger comes. Someone does something to us, and we are upset with that, and and so we're going to hold that inside. We're going to let it boil. We're going to be angry at them. And every time we see them, what do we think of? Huh? Yeah. What you did to me. Huh? God has a better way. Instead of allowing anger to bind us, we need to experience the freedom of forgiveness. Paul says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then he goes on to say, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Did you notice what was the key there? As, as, as uh, Gideon or Micah talked about the cross, right? We come to the cross of Jesus, and what do we see at the cross of Jesus? We see what He did to forgive us. And it cost Him to forgive us, didn't it? It cost Him His very life to forgive us. And if we think that there's no cost to forgiveness, we're only fooling ourselves. There is a cost to forgiveness. We want to hold on to that bitterness and that anger and we need to let it go. And the reason we let it go is because of what Jesus has done for us. Be tender-hearted 
forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Remember Peter when he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brothers? Up to seven times? And Peter thought he was doing a pretty, uh, a pretty good amount, seven times, because the Jewish rabbis of the day said you should forgive your brother three times. And so Peter doubled it and added one. And I'm sure he's thinking, Jesus would say, oh, Peter, you are gracious. <laughs> and what did he go on to say? No, no, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Then he told that parable. Remember the parable of, of the servant who had been forgiven this absolutely huge debt. A debt he could never, ever repay. And he was brought to task, brought to, to give account of that. And he, and he, he says, please, just uh, have mercy on me, I'll, I'll repay it. And the, and the king gave, forgave him his whole debt. Completely gone. And then the servant, he goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owed him just a little bit of money. And he grabs him by the throat, begins to choke him and says, pay me what you owe. And the fellow servants were watching this, and they saw. They knew the debt that he had been forgiven, and then they saw what he did to the fellow servant, and they went and told the, told the king what he had done. He said, you wicked slave, you. And obviously the, 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 the lesson of that parable is that we have been forgiven. We who know Jesus, we've been forgiven a huge debt. Think of all the times that you and I have sinned against God in thought and in word and in deed. All the times that we have failed to do what we know we ought to do. And, and, and in Jesus, we are forgiven. How then can we turn around and, and, and not forgive someone who wronged us? Just to carry that anger, that bitterness. Letting it simmer. <coughs> and letting it boil. When you consider all that the Lord has done for you, all that He's forgiven you, the many things that you've done wrong that He has washed away. That's gospel, isn't it? And how we treat others needs to be based on the gospel. As we have been forgiven, so we forgive others. Don't let anger simmer. Don't let that bitterness take root in your life so that it eats you up, destroys you inside, causes you to say and do things that bring pain and hurt in the lives of others, things that grieve God's Holy Spirit. Recognize when anger is sinful. Refuse to let anger simmer. And replace anger with forgiveness as you have been forgiven by God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us that love for those even who wrong us. Help us to remember as we have been forgiven by you. Lord, we are to forgive others. Lord, help us to deal with anger that is sinful, anger that dishonors you. In the way that you would prescribe here in your word. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor for what you accomplish in our lives. In that process of transforming us, changing us, making us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. 
Amen.